0: You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today I speak with Nikki Scully. Nikki is an author, healer, and teacher, and has been teaching shamanic arts and the Egyptian mysteries since 1983. She is the author of several books, including Shamanic Mysteries of Egypt, as well as the Sounds True audio learning program, Becoming an Oracle, Connecting to the Divine Source for Information and Healing. I spoke with Nikki about her role being what she calls a journey master, in which she facilitates people engaging with shamanic journeys, or oracular journeys. Nikki, I have the feeling that many Soundstreet listeners are not familiar with you and your work. And I wonder if we can begin, if you could just tell us a little bit about how you became a quote-unquote journey master. And And what it means to be a journey master
1: Well, I'll tell you a little bit about where I came from, um, because I think I've been a seeker ever since I was a child. I grew up in uh, in Beverly Hills of all unlikely places, hmm. as um, a secular from, from a secular Jewish family. Uh, three of my grandparents were immigrants. From Russia and Lithuania. And it was always instilled in me to reason and figure out things and um, question things. And in the early 60s, I kind of took a leap into um, exploring consciousness through psychedelics in the vanguard of that movement in 1964. And I think that was my first experience of any kind of oracularism, although I didn't know it at that time. But it was also my first experience into journeying, into moving beyond the ordinary. And um, I kind of dropped out after that. I dropped into the um, musical scene, and the psychedelic movement that was happening in San Francisco. I eventually um, hooked up with Rock Scully, who was one of the first managers of the Grateful Dead and, and for those first 20 years. And it was at those concerts where something very magical happened. I can only speak from my own personal experience of it. It was as though these um, gatherings, these concerts became a temple in which I found myself praying and receiving information and guidance. And I don't know, I know that my experience was unique for me, although I think that it was that possibility that drew so many people to that music. And it was... uh, It was through the Grateful Dead that I got to go to Egypt in 1978 when they played three concerts at the feet of the Sphinx with the Great Pyramid as our backdrop, and that was the pivotal point in my life where everything seemed to change. It was as though Egypt became an oracle for me, and... I kept returning again and again to try and understand the kind of magic and synchronicity that I felt there. And I found myself in the insightful moments in those monuments and temples making commitments and not as though I was remembering past life, but somehow achieving a level of clarity where I had a sense of, my sacred person, purpose, my reason for being here at this time.
0: So help me understand exactly what it was like for you. I'm curious. I'm imagining going back 1978, a, a concert with the Grateful Dead, at the Sphinx, at the Pyramids. What did you hear? What messages did you hear that gave you this sense of purpose? And what was the purpose?
1: Well, the first the first part of it was this experience of an extended time. I was there for two weeks, and every moment was fraught with meaning. Every, every word, every exchange, every experience had a sense of, of magic, of heightened awareness that took me to, to an edge where I, you know, I'm I'm thankful that I had conscious friends around me that could kind of pull me down. I think that's where I learned that the Sphinx was an anchor, that if I went down to the Sphinx in the morning, I could ground myself in the energy of that altar and... What's interesting is that it's the Sphinx to this day that grounds me into those mysteries and into that magic and is also used in the Becoming an Oracle project to ground the people at the beginning of the work so that they can experience these journeys and travel into uh, the heights of new awareness, meet teachers in other realms who can inform us and be able to do that in a safe and grounded way. Um, After I came back from Egypt, I knew that I needed to start studying. I needed to find teachers. And it was as a result of the, I think it was the first four trips in 19... Seventy-eight and 1979, that I solidified my awareness that I needed to uh, commit to service as a healer, and I didn't even know what that meant at the time. And so I left the Grateful Dead family, I left my husband, I moved to Eugene, Oregon, and instantly found a teacher, and her way of instructing was through guided visualization and initiations or rites of passage that would happen within this journey format. And that became the basis of the way I not only learn but the way that I've learned to share what I know and have experienced. And so that's how I started out uh, developing this process of guided journeys as a way of insight guidance and initiation
0: can you explain a little more what you mean by initiation the the journeyer the the person the seeker is being initiated by by who and into what
1: well that depends on the journey and the quest itself when i first studied with my teacher, Nadja Eagles, who used this form in transmitting her teachings, um, I found myself in a room full of people who were able to describe their visions and their experiences and how things looked and felt. But for me, it was different. I couldn't see what she described. I could occasionally feel it, but they weren't necessarily related, um, or I couldn't make that connection, Um, but what would happen is she would say, okay, we'll do this journey, and um, she would affect a change or simply say that this change had been made and that it was possible to do something like, for example, psychic surgery. And then what would happen for me is the very next day, somebody would come into my home and say, I'm in terrible pain. I have this horrible abscess. I'm afraid to go to the dentist. Help me. (laughs) And I would apply what I was told that I could do and lo and behold, it happened. And so for me, the result in the natural world supported and gave validation to these rights that I was uh, engaged in with this teacher, whereas all of the other students would come back with visions and stories and all these colorful experiences, but I was the one who would take it into the world immediately, and things would happen
0: now let's just pause for one moment here and look a little deeper into psychic surgery what, what, <laughs> can you explain that
1: um, yes it's a it's a form of healing that uh, I describe and teach in my book Alchemical healing but it's um, it's one of many, many, many techniques and not the first one I would recommend people to utilize because it is very much like the Western surgery where you actually enter with your energy into a person's body to manipulate and change things. Since I learned that in the early 80s, I've learned a lot uh, more subtle Techniques that are equally powerful. But at the time, um, I think I required more dramatic means of recognizing the capacity that we all have to heal ourselves and one another.
0: Wow, amazing. Now tell me a little bit, Nikki, about the Becoming an Oracle project and what the origins of this project were, how this came into being originally.
1: Well, it started with um, the Egyptian mysteries. Um, I live in Eugene. I've been living in the same home for 28 years. And um, over time, we've actually consecrated an Egyptian temple. And we did this through various rites and rituals that would come to us in preparation for a series that went on for about 12 years, 12 or 13 years, of Egyptian Mysteries retreats. And I primarily worked with um, the writer and scholar, Norman D. Ellis, who is amazing. And if you ever have an opportunity to work with her, she's, she's really a magnificent writer and teacher. And the kind of magic that we developed and conveyed took us to a point where in i think it was 2002 as we move close to the time when we do this work that's when the information would come in it would be a mystery to us until we're just about ready to teach it and then um usually my husband and i would go into ceremony and look for the work that was wanting to come in. And then Normandy and I would work with that as a basis. Well, Mark uh, saw a vision of Isis um, squatting like a great mother, and this was the the, the black Isis, the, the dark Isis, in this state of ecstasy as though she were in a continuous birthing of creation and as we delve more deeply into his vision it became apparent that we were to the work that was coming through was the work of becoming an Oracle and when I conveyed to Normandy what we were about to do she was a little nervous and she found in her in her journals that Five years prior, that was the point at which she stopped. And she knew that it was time to to take that dive, to not just learn about the deities, but move into the place of actually speaking for them. So we developed and taught becoming an oracle back then, but it was a distinctly Egyptian mysteries where we learned how to dive using the symbolism of Egypt and the deities of Egypt to convey how, if creation was a wave, you could enter into the depths to find and tickle the source of creation itself to provide the impetus and energy to be moved forward to different areas of the wave for different perceptions and ultimately to be able to move your consciousness in front of the wave so that you can perceive what's coming at you. And if you are strong enough and focused enough, perhaps even influence or change that possibility. And when Um, I began talking with Sounds True about doing this work. That's what I had in mind. But I was asked to be more um, general than focused on Egypt. And so uh, it actually, um, a really interesting point, Tammy, that I think you'll like is that it was when I was shown the cover the beautiful cover that your art department designed for this program, that the next level and inspiration came, because I looked at the cover, and it was gorgeous. And my first thought was, why is Horace on the cover? What What is his relationship to oracular medicine, which by this time I was looking at becoming an oracle as a way of making a new kind of medicine. And so, once again, Mark and I went into ceremony and went looking to find why Horace was on the cover of this work. And that's when we brought in the final piece, the piece in this program where a person can fully realize the possibilities of being able to elevate their consciousness to a point where they can see with the focus of the hawk. To anything on our planet or any place in our three-dimensional reality. And at the same time, be directed from above like a new antenna or a new sensory organ awakening to receive information from throughout the universe and be able to And the inside, and then from that place, everything in between the Sphinx that is the anchoring at the beginning that started for me in 1978, and the uh, height of becoming horse of the horizon that was given to us last summer in preparation for the production of this program.
0: Can you tell me just a little bit about Horus?
1: Horus is... There are are many manifestations of Horus. He's most known as being the son of Isis and Osiris, who was divinely conceived after his father Osiris was murdered. And through the tremendous love and tantric knowledge of isis to be able to raise her dead husband sufficiently to conceive their son and she he was raised to avenge the death of his father and inherit that divine enlightened rulership well when you look at the story of horus he started as an impetuous warrior, and through his battle with Set to achieve dominion over the, the lower um, urges of, of being uh, and our shadow aspects, he matured into the enlightened ruler, and every, every pharaoh is called Horus. And Horus is the symbol of the enlightened ruler, one who has um, fought that internal battle and been victorious in the maturation as an authentic, uh, fully realized being.
0: So in a journey, if I'm connecting to this energy of Horus or the energy of Isis, What's your view? What am I connecting with? I mean, these are, are legends and stories, or these are actual archetypal energies that I can contact?
1: Um, I, I certainly experience them as archetypal energies that we can contact. Whether they are inside ourselves or outside of ourselves doesn't matter as much as that it works. That the symbols and the hieroglyphs the the sacred glyphs in Egypt. Um, if you look at them for a while, they stimulate, they awaken, almost as though they're awakening memory inside our DNA and turn on those lights and and uh, bring us into the intentioned awareness and so we learned what the journeys are that come through me and through my work are designed to catalyze and stimulate a person into a deeper awareness according to the intention of the journey
0: can you give me an example of what a potential intention might be in a in a journey for becoming an oracle?
1: Yes, I think I'll go to um, the Ancestor Cave, because that was based in my personal vision quest. And when I went to this cave, this very remote and little seen by anyone in thousands of years, cave in the middle of the western desert. The so so this, desert. Was,
0: this was not a journey. This In, in um, non-ordinary time, you actually physically went to this cave.
1: I physically went there. Okay. And I ceremonied there and vision quested there. And in that cave are some handprints from maybe... 6,500, 7,000 years ago at least. And there's also carvings of lion's paws and antelope with antlers in the middle of a desert that had to be verdant when those people lived there and left their mark in that cave. So what happened for me in that cave The intention that I went there for was because I was told in guidance that I needed to find this cave and go in there to submit myself to the rituals and rites that I was engaged in writing for um, the books that I co-authored with Linda Starwolf, Shamanic Mysteries of Egypt and the Anubis Oracle and that before I could teach those rites, I had to undergo them. And so this was before an Egypt trip, which was going to be the first time that I shared the rites I was working on. And when I went into the cave in the night and spent the night there, and uh, I connected to the ancestors in a way that was new for me, I did experience... Um, many of the rites that I was learning while I was sequestered in this cave, that um, I also realized that just like the caves in India or Tibet or Australia, these caves are, are doorways, are portals where you can connect to... Um, many forms of knowledge and for me it was a recognition of those ancestors whose handprints were in this cave and it was some months later when i was preparing to speak at uh, a large shaman's conference and had told them i was going to be doing becoming an oracle as i went to look for what i was going to present the ancestors from that cave came to me and said we want to help. We want you to tell our story and connect people to us so that they can heal their frayed and tattered ancestral lines because we would not be here but for the strength and tenacity of our ancestors. And so in this journey in becoming an oracle, I have people approach this cave with the same reverence and respect that I did and enter into it and place their hand upon the hands of the ancestors at which moment there's this direct interaction it's almost like an electrical jolt where you connect through time regardless of where your ancestry is this portal somehow magically or not so magically if you really fully understand it connects those lines and provides an opportunity where knowledge and information or memory can come through and where you get the sense that you can actually heal the links between you and your ancestors and straighten the bonds that go from you to the past and forward from you to the future. And I think it's uh, an important healing that we all require. We have to remember and honor how we got here and what we hold for the future. And a journey such as this provides that. And it's an oracle because if you listen, you hear the wisdom of the ancestors. And then if you are clear enough and if it is done in a sacred way, you actually can bring back the articulation of what you hear. You know how often dreams, they're so profound, and the the minute you go and try and articulate them, they vanish. Mm -hmm. But in doing this work, such as, the journeys in becoming an oracle, you have the opportunity to enter consciously in a sacred way with reverence, and you sustain your consciousness. I ask that people have a journal or recorder or some way that, as soon as they're complete, they can they can get it down and concretize it so that it's there, and then that uh, that useful. Uh, intuited knowledge becomes concretized and available.
0: So you physically went to this cave in Egypt, but then you were able to turn it into a guided visualization such that it's a doorway for someone to connect to their ancestors, whatever their ancestry is?
1: That's correct.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
1: And the response when I've done this work, either at conferences or in classes, has been quite remarkable. The experience, I mean, the, the proof of the pudding is in the experience with these journeys. They either work for you or they don't.
0: Now, I can imagine that someone's intention, especially with the idea of oracular medicine, is, I want to know what the future is. I mean, I want to know if I stay with this partner that they're the best partner for me versus this other partner, or where is my life partner anyway? And that that would be the inspiration for wanting to explore oracular medicine, is I I want to know what's going to happen.
1: And, um, And that's true for many people. I think that when I take up my oracles, what I find, whether I'm doing a reading or someone or um, connecting for myself, is not so much what the future is, but what I can bring to it so that whatever it is, I can handle it with grace and ease. It's the clarity of the moment of, that allows you to see whatever it is in relationship to a larger picture within which what might appear unsettling through our ordinary tunnel vision has a relationship to a larger whole where there is perfection. And so if I'm reading for someone and... They pull a, uh, well, the oracle deck that I created, the Anubis oracle, I would have to say that there are no bad cards.
0: (laughs) Can you tell me who who is Anubis?
1: Um, Anubis is the jackal god of Egypt, the underworld um, figure, the other son of Osiris, with Isis' sister Nephthys. And he is like the the heart shaman priest that presided over the Sed festival rites, which are the renewal rites of the pharaoh, which is what, what we've put forth in a new interpretation or a new iteration in the shamanic mysteries of Egypt and the Anubis Oracle. And so he is... Mm, He's the psychopomp, the one who walks between the worlds and knows all the pathways that leads from the darkness back to the light. And so it's his work in the oracle that I uh, created with Linda Starwolf and that I've been learning to use and what I use to give readings. And so in the, the death card which would be Osiris, represents renewal, regeneration, transmutation, rebirth. And I've always been very leery of going to readers um, without giving it a great deal of thought and knowing it's the right time and the right person because when you consult another person as you seek oracular advice, you are giving them power. Whatever they say is going to influence you greatly because you are investing in their articulation and interpretation of what their oracular device or tool presents. Um, And so I think great... when someone um, takes the position of of being willing to guide a person in that way or tell them what their future is going to be. And so um, that's another really good reason for studying Becoming an Oracle because you learn how to connect directly without intercession through these various oracular tools. To uh, teachers and uh, guides in the netter world, the, uh, the spirit world, that as you practice this work, you learn to trust and the infallibility of, of really true and clear connection to that wellspring of intelligence and knowledge that I believe is at the source of all oracular traditions and all spiritual paths
0: Now you start off each of the journeys by suggesting that people practice something called the heart breath and I'm curious if you can tell me what that is and, and why you start off the journeys that way
1: Absolutely Um I'm finding that this simple breath contains within it the necessary ingredients for grounding, for centering, for invoking uh, the allies and intelligence and directing your intention. It starts with focusing on your heart center. It's very important that we learn to perceive from our hearts rather than our mind, our emotion, or any of the other centers to which we have natural proclivities. Because the heart is the place that it's like the nexus point that's connected to the full potential. It's like the center of the circle. So we put our focus there, and that places us at the center And then we feed our heart fire with love. And love is the fuel, and that brightens our inner heart flame. Then I have people breathe as though they're inhaling from the heart of the earth, inviting the power of the earth and the intelligence of the earth and the elements of the earth, and pulling all that vitality and energy up into their body, to their heart, to join with the love that they're pouring on their heart flame. And then I have them draw from the heart of the cosmos, pulling the stellar energies and the energies from above and all the intelligence of the stars in our solar system and pull that down into us. And it's like creating a bellows with our breath to make our own heart fire stronger. And that glow that we make, and with our intention, it it draws to us our spiritual allies and gives us the fortitude and the perception of uh, of clarity from which we enter into each of these journeys. Mm -hmm.
0: Now, in the Becoming oracle series, you actually teach 19 different journeys and I'm curious, you shared one with us, the example of the the cave and contacting our ancestry. I'm curious if you can share, just describe one of the other journeys and, and why it's special to you.
1: Um, there is a journey it's Uh, Number 11, it's the sacred pipe of the Lakota. And the reason that that journey is special to me is because I've been a pipe carrier. Um, The Lakota word is chinupa. And I've carried chinupa since 1974, so that's 35 years now. And I never looked at it as an oracle, It was my way to pray and my way to ask for and receive guidance. And it wasn't until we were engaged in bringing in these journeys that when this journey came in and the ancestors, the the spirits behind the sacred pipe came forward and offered the pipe ceremony into this body of work, That was probably the most moving moment in the entire creation of this project because that is my most precious and most sacred connection to the universal harmony. And so uh, to realize that it is actually an oracular tool for divining clear guidance I just never seen it in that um, in that way, and that is to me the most sacred of the journeys in this becoming an oracle program.
0: So, how does engaging in a in a pipe ceremony? I mean, I, I would be visualizing it on on one of these journeys. Where's the oracular part of that? I ask for a message as I'm um, in- inhaling the pipe.
1: Actually, no not in this particular journey. In this particular journey, the ancestors come forth and share with us how they learned to pray. And in the engagement with the elders in this ceremony, in this spirit ceremony, you're taken to a place of such reverence it's only at the end of the ceremony, when it's your turn to smoke, to actually hold the pipe and make your prayer, and when the smoke is released, the vision comes in the smoke. It's um, it's different than most of the other journeys, because we don't think of the sacred pipe as an oracular tool, um, but it is. Such a deeply spiritual medicine in that when you are connected in that way, you're connected to original source, the sacred buffalo calf woman, the white buffalo calf woman, whose story I also tell in this program. so in it it's not really a divergence from an oracular tool. It's a window into another way of experiencing oracular medicine. That doesn't mean that everybody should go out and get a pipe because that would be totally inappropriate. But it will touch certain people and call them to find where there are ceremonies and lodges that they can attend. And if they have a resonance, then find out more in a more personal way. What was surprising to me was the strength and the power of the ceremony was uh, as profound as being in one when I gave it, uh, even when it was being recorded.
0: Mm-hmm. So you're, you're saying that the smoke that comes out of the pipe, I, I look at the smoke and will see potentially a vision or a response to a question in the shape in the smoke?
1: Um that was what we were told to offer uh, as the put the oracular potential for that ceremony um, interesting in this work. I found it interesting because I had never quite looked at it that way.
0: Well, when I think of this term oracular medicine, I can imagine you know people reading tea leaves or um, you know looking uh, in a crystal ball and seeing images and so is that is that part of what you mean by oracular medicine?
1: Um well, yes. <laughs> um I know the when you're talking about crystal balls, I mean the my first introduction to any uh, spiritual or oracular tools was quartz crystals in the 70s and i'm sitting in front of my altar while i'm talking to you and looking at two beautiful crystal balls on my <laughs> altar and uh realizing that yes there we actually connect with crystals in the 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 Mayan journey where we visit Chichen Itza and are introduced to a, a crystal skull and we're also taught by villagers about scrying Crystal gazing and water scrying, and so those tools are a part of this program.
0: What is water scrying?
1: Um, it's a way that you can hold a bowl of water and look into it and and see visions. Um, in Peru, there's there were there's this one place at Machu Picchu that actually has these sort of almost bowl like things um, in the ground where we were told that they were used for scrying in that way as well. It's an age-old practice that seers use to get information. When, it was when I taught becoming an oracle initially um, many years ago that the concept of oracular medicine came to me, and I think it's because I'm... Basically a healer at heart and everything I do I'm looking for its healing potential and how it can be used to bring us healing. Um, For example, if one is looking at say a diagnosis of cancer that could be just horrifying and devastating, if one can have an oracular experience wherein they can see with clarity the uh, potential of such a journey if it were to happen in as a, as a gift of knowledge and experience they're not going to enter it with fear or the same fear as somebody who. Just sees it as a doorway to death. I say this as a as a cancer survivor
0: hmm.
1: who has faced down this myself mm-hmm. and uh, had to look for the silver lining to carry me through.
0: Did your work with oracles help with your own cancer diagnosis?
1: Absolutely. How? Well, I'm trying to remember exactly. I yeah. <laughs> The the image that's coming to mind actually is of a card that someone sent me. It was a Volkswagen that was growing grass all over it. it said, uh, And he wrote, oh, I hear you have the big C. I can't wait to see what you learn and share with us when you get to the other side. And that's the card that I posted over my bed to uh remind me that I was on a vision quest that I was uh seeking to understand and learn and share and support through my own experience.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, I'm I'm becoming an oracle. I'm 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 more engaged in being an alchemist, and I think the implementation of this this oracular way of looking at things is uh, a furthering of my um, studies as an alchemist.
0: And what do you mean by that, being an alchemist?
1: My life body of work, or the one that I spent 25 years researching before I published, is alchemical healing, a guide to spiritual, physical, and transformational medicine. And it is a series of rites and initiations that empower people to be able to heal themselves and others. That's where I first introduced the heart breath. That's where uh, I diverged from my teacher to allow the rights that had to be transmitted from person to person to be able to be uh, self-initiated. I believe that if we get engaged in being special and having the power to initiate others or provide others with what They need, that separates us. I think everybody needs to realize that they have within themselves the power to transform, the power to heal, the power to turn the lead of whatever the matter is that needs transforming to be able to witness that process of turning that lead into alchemical gold, which is the enlightening and spiritualizing of whatever the matter is.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, what I like so much about what you're offering in this program, Becoming an Oracle, is, you know, you mentioned people go to readers and give so much of their power away to somebody else to tell them what may or may not happen in their future. But here, an individual is seeking their own guidance and coming up with their own answers. And then the responsibility is fully one's own
1: absolutely and i think that the problem of requiring intercessors between ourselves and god in most religious institutions limits people and keeps them from their own direct connection to divinity and source and so the tools in becoming an oracle um allow people to experience many, many roads, many, many different traditions uh, that help them to tap into that wellspring of knowledge and guidance and clarity, and that different people will resonate with different ones, but the order in which these are given is done so for a reason. Everything is kind of layered to take you through this odyssey and into a place where you really do have an opportunity to fully recognize your own abilities and, and power as an oracle.
0: Finally, Nikki, I just have one final question for you, which is, in your own life, what is it that you're questioning or working on that you want oracular wisdom to help you with?
1: It's pretty much always the same. Well, not always. I mean, it started uh, when I was younger, who am I and why am I here? And over time and development and many commitments and many, you know, my own maturation, it's how can I use whatever is being shown to me in service to my own healing and the healing of all my relations. It's, it's, it's pretty much service-oriented because no matter what the trial or tribulation, I happen to be finding myself in the moment, I'm always trying to look for, okay, how is what I'm going to learn for this going to be able to help and serve others?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. I've really enjoyed talking with you today. Yeah,
0: likewise. This program has been brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Please visit us at SoundsTrue.com and experience our award-winning audio programs for yourself. Programs that embrace the world's major spiritual traditions, as well as the arts and humanities, embodied by the leading authors, teachers, and visionary artists of our time. With every title, we strive to preserve the essential, living wisdom of the author, artist, or spiritual teacher. Not only will you receive information but you will receive the essential quality of a wisdom transmission between a teacher and a student. Many voices, one journey. Soundstrue.com.